Black Lives Matter defund the police. I find it disgusting that the LAPD is slaughtering peaceful protesters on the street. I had two friends go to the protest in Beverly Hills a couple of days ago, and the protest was peaceful until the police showed up with their excessive violent force shooting rubber bullets and throwing tear gas. Is this what you think of protecting and serving? Because I think it's bullshit. Fuck you, Michael Moore. I refuse to call you an officer or a chief because you don't deserve those titles. You are a disgrace. Suck my dick and choke on it. I yield my time. Fuck you. to the habituation room once again happy sunday day 13 of mass demonstrations for black lives um i am francesca fiorentini i am your host uh welcome everyone to this live stream welcome to the podcast if you're listening at home uh hi kim hi letizia hi usman hi maria hi dirk hi Susie. hi john i know it sounds like i'm making these names up if you're just listening but I'm not. Uh, thank you guys for being here once again. Um, and thank you so much for your donations. Uh, every week that we do this, we donate a portion of all the tips that you give us since this is a free show and we're out of work and we're stand-up comics. And we give them to an organization. Uh, last week was Reclaim the Block, uh, an organization that's actively working uh, in Minneapolis to get money out of the police department and into social programs this week we're donating to uh the men and women in bright green the national lawyers guild uh you've seen them out there in the protests if you've been out this week um they're always there they're always like who's this guy who looks like father time that's the national lawyers guild all right they're making sure that you're safe and I don't know if they're actually making sure you're safe. They're just making sure that they document you getting your ass beat. And so that's, it's similar. And they're helping a lot of protesters uh, right now who've been arrested in these mass sweeps all over the country. They need funds. They do this work, I think, largely volunteer-based. So please donate to them through us, Venmo at TBR-Live. So awesome. And thank you so much. And also... Hey, rate this podcast, dude. I know you're on this platform right now. Uh, maybe you're listening. Maybe you're on Twitch or YouTube or Facebook. But rate us. Go to the podcast. Uh, five stars. Give us a little review. Write something cute. You know, all the emojis. Anyway, um, before we get too far into this, uh, I want to bring on my co-host, uh, beloved uh, mixologist and um, woke dad, please welcome uh, Mr. Nato Green. Nato, ¿qué pasó? We're trying to add you and okay, oh, this is, we'll just edit this. It's okay, there's a chopper flying overhead because there is a massive demonstration going on right now, uh, just blocks away from my home. And while we figure out how to get Nato on, um, uh, I just want to tell everyone that I tried to go to my second demonstration this week. I'm in Los Angeles and I, um, I left because I couldn't find parking, which is the saddest reason to not go to a protest. Cause you couldn't find fucking parking. That was me. I have what's known as negative parking karma. Uh, clearly I drove an Audi in a previous lifetime. I chewed out a lot of people and I wanted to go to the protest before this uh, this um, podcast just for like an hour. Just show face. Oh, hi, Nato. Welcome. What's up? Hey, I uh, 
I don't, I'm this week it's beer in my ongoing effort to find sponsors we could live with. I would like to be sponsored by four point beer. Cause I fancy, I, I, I get down with this man's and need a beer. You were going to say I fancy, but then you said fancy. And then you just replaced that word with something even more like ridiculous, ridiculous sounding, which was manzanita. Is that what it's called? Manzanita beer? Yes. I fancy a manzanita. I fancy a manzanita. <laughs> um, I, anyway, I was telling them a story uh, oh. that I tried, I, you know. By, by telling them a story, do you mean stalling for time? No, I don't. I mean, actually, that's what I was going to tell you, that I actually tried to go to a demonstration, but I left because I couldn't find parking. <laughs> right. You're and like, oh, do I want to get COVID on the bus on the way to the demonstration? <laughs> no. Nah, if it's not walking distance, I'm not going. And I left early for a protest, which means I left like 20 minutes before you're supposed to gather. Um, but all that time I lost circling. And I, again, I have negative in, negative parking instinct. You know what that means? Where you're like, should I, shouldn't I? And you always make the wrong decision. Right. Uh, Welcome to LA, man. No, thank you. Well, <laughs> I uh, here's what I've been dealing with. Um, I've been like a lot of people in quarantine streaming. I've been watching like, like you know, spy shows, uh, mostly dramas, spy shows, crime shows, cop shows, all that that stuff. And uh, one of the things that like once you notice, it's it's like a weird device, and once you notice it, it distracts you in every single thing, which is that no one ever ends a conversation in a television drama. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, like nor like normal like two characters will be having like some intense dramatic conversation and then one of them just walks away yeah. or hangs up the phone. I, I don't like crime dramas. The only crime drama I like is The Wire, but I have watched Days of Our Lives for like not currently, but I have in my lifetime for years. And that is daytime soap operas are the king of never finishing a conversation. There's just a lot of like like people will turn around and walk away and and not like uh, uh, there's no like oh I gotta go make some food like the the way that normal people in a conversation of like well I'm gonna let you go you know Can you imagine if every scene ended that way <laughs> like oh, that's that's how how nor normal conversations end like in eighty percent of my conversations is someone being like I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you go or I gotta go to the bathroom and they're like that's how you get out and in a drama tv drama no one ever gets out of the conversation that way nato is studying the art of television writing um by the way one netflix crime drama at a time i know you're watching the good wife fool you and every other 40 year old karen oh i love the good wife <laughs> you well, have a joke about being attracted to julianne margulies right very much so <laughs> Not uh, a joke. very much. Yeah, uh, who's joking? Not me. <laughs> um, I forgot to mention uh, that we have a special guest this week, um, and she's going to be joining us uh, shortly. Shanti Singh is here. She's a tenants' rights organizer. She's going to be breaking down what the landscape for um, not paying rent looks like in this country, and um, you know what are the lasting changes we can make coming out of this pandemic and soon to be giant revolution let's jump in let's jump into this week okay um, we, have a, we have this new segment of course because once again how are you is not relevant but the question is uh more like what is time um 
And we, because we're all, we're all losing. I, I always like to say this, like, what is time even? But you I know, feel like you have to add a like, like what is like time even? Yeah. Or what is time even like? Ugh, it's getting deep. <laughs> I don't even smoke weed. Um, <laughs> um, uh, I was talking to Matt, Matt, my boyfriend, about that. And we were talking about... Uh, the silent partner of the situation room. Instead of... Yes, the silent partner of the situation room. Instead of what time is it? Just like, what time is? Uh-huh. What time is? <laughs> no, really. What time is? Uh, so that's a nice take on that. But because we don't know, uh, and if you didn't know, today is Sunday, June 7th, uh, year 2020, middle of the American spring, the American Intifada, the uprising around um, a new civil rights movement in this country. And we are going to launch into our segment called The Week Where, where we go through all the week's happenings um, with some shitty, shitty monologue jokes that I took way too long to write. So, without further ado, this was the week where historic protests continued uh, demanding justice for George Floyd and against police brutality. And let me tell you, white women are lit, okay? They're talking about intersectional feminism for the first time. They're reading James Baldwin. They're changing their Tinder race preferences to all except Asians. I mean, it's crazy. this is like their political Coachella. This is their woke cella. Like psilocybin is still involved, except now it's just the name of their arresting officer. Officer psilocybin. (laughs) 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 Mostly I just laugh at my own jokes. (laughs) (laughs) This was also the week where, of course, President Trump hid from hundreds of protesters in D.C. in a White House bunker that hadn't been used since Cheney hid there on 9-11, which means it's mostly just a storage unit for cowardly dicks. Uh, Cowardly dicks. Yeah, that's uh, my favorite character from The Wizard of Oz. (laughs) You cowardly dick. Oh, yeah, the lion is one thing, but the cowardly dick. Just limp. Uh, around. <laughs> but I just uh, well, I wanted to just let people know that um, the bunker that Trump hid in is apparently um, very, very strong. It can withstand the impact of a passenger jet. That's real. And I know what you're thinking. Why don't they make the whole White House out of the bunker? <laughs> hey, now, uh, <laughs> this was the week where. Trump threatened to deploy the military to cities whose leaders were unable to contain the violence themselves and then tried to designate Antifa as a terrorist organization. We have a new nominee for the whitest shit in history, which is asking to speak to the manager of Antifa. Uh, What Trump didn't know is that Antifa is not an organization that has like articles of incorporation and a board of directors and a P.O. box. It's not like you can go to the Antifa convention at the Radisson and they make decisions by Robert's Rules of Order. And someone's like, hey, I have a motion, a resolution to punch Nazis in the face. Can I get a second on the motion? Uh, (laughs) No, no, boo! And all their wigs go flying. Yeah, it, like like trying to designate Antifa as a terrorist organization. Antifa is an abstract concept that just means anti-fascist. It's like designating goths as a terrorist organization. Like, sure, they're annoying sometimes, but you know, also like, who doesn't like the Sisters of Mercy? 
True. This was the week where an autopsy uh, revealed that George Floyd actually had COVID-19, proving that the new strategy to stop COVID-19 is just to kill us before the virus can. Keeps the numbers down, you know? Um, Obviously, this also means that the officers are going to get off, you know, like they're going to plead that they were retroactively afraid for their lives. Um, Retroactive fear is actually a standard uh, bylaw of the Fraternal Order of Police. Not sure if you knew that. Also, I know we're going to talk about police unions, but can we just talk about the fact that like everyone's like, oh, no, they're not that racist. The fraternal order of police is not that racist. Like, you got the most white-sounding, white nationalist-sounding name, right? Like, that's... Yeah, I know. If you're a fraternity, I know what your insignia is. And the poor poor female cops that have to join the sorority order of police. Yeah. What about the sorority order of police? Hashtag misunderstanding representation. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This was the week where everyone and their mother issued statements of solidarity for Black Lives Matter. I got emails expressing commitment uh, of support for Black Lives Matter from corporations, the likes of Amazon, Facebook, Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, and Airbnb. You know, sometimes, Francesca, people ask me the difference between a liberal and a leftist, and this is it. Liberals will say Black Lives Matter one minute and evict you the next. Uh, Uber is like, we don't want our drivers to have the right to a union healthcare or overtime, but we will offer 15% discount codes for an Uber pool to the protests. Some exceptions apply. Discount codes do def- definitely do not apply to Uber Black. Ironic. Um, a lot of these corporations and civic leaders rushing to identify with the movement when they haven't done anything about over policing or racism ever just feels like they're trying to say, don't burn us down in the revolution. And I want to say to them, Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, Facebook, Amazon, Airbnb. They're right. They earned it. When the revolution comes, uh, we won't expropriate and burn them down first. They will get an extra day or two. Yeah. You'll get a few hours. Run. Um, (laughs) That is a joke, right, NATO? There are no discounts for getting to the protest. Because I really should have taken an Uber. Oh, there are. Oh, they're definitely shut right. the fuck. No, they were they were they were uh, they were doing um, maybe was, I can't remember it was Uber or Lyft, but one of them was doing discounts. Fuck them both. That's such bullshit. Um, but also, like, what a difference three and a half years makes, right? These were the same people who were offering discounts to stranded passengers at airports when there were um, airport protests, you know, uh, protesting the Muslim ban, um, and then they got canceled for it. It only took them three and a half years to be on the right side of history. Um, they, hey, not bad. This was the week where Kanye West also joined protests in Chicago and donated $2 million to George Floyd's daughter's college fund. That sounds nice, but let's be real. Adidas probably just reached out to them and was like, look, Kanye, uh, Yeezy footwear is flying off the shelves right now. And when we say flying, we mean being thrown through a broken glass window. Please, please do something. (laughs) Although he could just like reduce the price on any of his footwear by most 75% and it would still be about like, you know, a month's rent. 
Um, this was also the week where a prominent gay male porn star took to Twitter to call for gay escorts to reveal the truth about South Carolina Republican Senator Lindsey Graham's sexuality and service procurement of male escorts. Yes, I agree. Please come forward and with as little detail as possible. <laughs> Apparently, he, he's known in D.C. escort circles as Lady G. Uh, I wouldn't have chosen that code name for him. I would have gone with Graham Cracker. Because mm. <laughs> it's got a little honey on it. Mm -hmm. And cinnamon and honey. Um, listen, no one's trying to it, out or... Uh, it dissolves in milk. It dissolves in milk. Oh, God. You can sandwich chocolate and a marshmallow <laughs> with it, and it's even more delicious. Oh dear. Listen, don't kink shame NATO. Um, I was gonna say no one is trying to out Lindsey Graham at all. Um, no one, you know, says Lindsey Graham doesn't have rights. Um but like, also, he's a piece of shit, so it doesn't really matter. And I'm glad that Twitter is in agreement with this. Um, finally, this was the week where in a stunning reversal, even the NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell, who's still around, actually apologized this week and said that the league was wrong for banning peaceful protests and not listening to players earlier. Goodell actually said the words, Black Lives Matter, but many... Uh, aren't ready to forgive until he apologizes to Colin Kaepernick. Uh, I personally am not ready to forgive until he sings and does the entire choreography to Lemonade while dressed in a leotard and a black beret. Okay? Okay, ladies, now let's get in formation. That's what I want to hear. I just want to hear him do that. <laughs> I'm for it. I'm so for it. Also, fuck Roger Goodell. Like, in what world? And, and the video... It, it feels kind of like a hostage video. I don't know what it is. But like, there's too much, like, knees. You know when someone has, like, too much of their sitting? Like, you see too much of the chair? You're like, mm, what's going on? That was the week that was. Or the week where? The week, it was, was the, the week, week where. where. Yay. Thank you guys for being here. Remember, we are donating to the National Lawyers Guild. Tip us for all of our hard work on those jokes uh, at TBR-Live, and we will donate a portion of those tips to the National Lawyers Guild that's working hard to get people um, out of jail and also help them with their legal cases uh, after being arrested this week. Maybe tip us, mainly tip us for the National Lawyers Guild. Less less than the jokes. More than the jokes. The joke, the Dude, technology. I, some of us work too hard on these. Mm. I know it's surprising. <laughs> um <laughs> I, we dug a hole with this segment, and now I don't know how to get out of it. And basically, we're stuck with it. Uh, but I like it. I think it's important. Um, but also what's important, and this has been, you know, a different week this week, because rather than what we're bitching about, uh, NATO and I have decided to turn this on its head and talk about what we're celebrating this week. So what we're not bitching about, because in just a short week, and really since these protests began 13 days ago, um, a fuck ton has happened. Um, a lot like I was, I, yeah. I, so I, I'm, I'm visiting my parents and I was, uh, as, as is my habit, uh, taking a long and leisurely poop and they subscribed to the economist magazine, which is the party organ of the British ruling class. And how long uh, are you talking about? Yes, I agree. But how long of a poop? Not that long, but they, uh, 
so I was reading the issue from the one that was next to the toilet was the one of May 23rd. And, uh, and so May 23rd, there's an art less than two weeks ago. There's an article that's like, whatever happened to black lives matter. Uh, and, uh, life, life comes at you fast, I guess is the lesson. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think there is a saying, you know, uh, history moves slowly or change moves very slowly until it doesn't. And I don't know who said that and I haven't looked it up, but I will. Um, and I think we're seeing that. We're seeing this huge opening. I know a lot of uh, movement elders and um, folks we've had on this podcast, like Max Elbaum, uh, who I think is the Nostradamus of the left, is talking about how this truly is one of those moments um, where change is very possible if we keep pushing and if we can turn a lot of our righteous anger that is on the street, streets right now um, into long-term organizing. And I know that is way less sexy, um, but it is important. But I just wanted to go over just... I, I, so I've, I've, been, I've been reading this book, Poor People's Movements by Francis Box Piven that came out in the 70s. Yeah. And it's like, because I'm a nerd, is yeah. that what you're saying? And yeah. she's, just, she's still out there and it's like, like, the, what we're seeing now is like a perfect case study of her argument, which is that like sometimes people just take to the streets and raise hell and there's not a clear plan or demands or like a flow chart. Just things start happening and, and, and the movement takes on a life of its own and then you start winning stuff. So can we run down the list of the victories of the last week? Yes. Thank you, Nato, for teeing me up. Go. <laughs> All right. So just going over everything, obviously, three additional Minneapolis police officers involved in George Floyd's murder were taken into custody and charged. Their bail was set at $1 million apiece, which I'm surprised Trump has not paid personally at this point. Um, Chauvin, the officer who actually killed George Floyd, um, his it charges increased to second degree murder because apparently there was something called third degree, which was just like thought crime. I don't really know what that one was. Um, the Minneapolis police, though, also banned the use of chokeholds and other neck restraints um, by the police. Um, Minneapolis City Council members, this is recent, just called for disbanding the police and replacing it with community-oriented, nonviolent public safety um, measures, I assume, or some sort of awesome new Care Bear brigade. And I'm really not joking on that one. I'm serious. If you people dressed up as Care Bears and walked around cities that would do far more for our public safety than having police. And um, that's, th that's all it, like in the last four hours. This is all now. The, the, uh, like the Minneapolis police announcement just came through. Yes. And apparently it's, it's, you can't veto it. Like it's, it's, it's a, it's a veto proof majority of the city council. Right. The mayor and it came on the, on the heels, mayor Frey. I don't, did you see that video? Mayor Jacob Frey going out to the rally and just getting, ripped over the coals like he's there like speaking through a bullhorn being like i hear you we're gonna make reforms we're gonna do some stuff and people are just like fuck you and yeah. then he like they're like well will you agree to defund the police and he was like no and then they literally like game of thrones style like shouted shouted shame 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 as this mayor like dragged his ass out was he naked and he was naked oh but, that's awesome but that's but cool. he had, had had an erection the whole time <laughs> <laughs> um that is dope that is like 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 read the room brah 
You know what I mean? Yeah. This, it feels like I remember when the women's march happened. I was in D.C., the first women's march. And I was like, God, I'm glad Hillary isn't here. Like, you know, all due respect ish. But like if it's like if Hillary had been at the women's march, people were like, no, <laughs> go away, go hiking. And that's what she did. Um, all right. Sticking with uh, Minnesota, AFL-CIO um, in Minnesota calls for the resignation of the president of the Minneapolis Police Union. That's pretty big. Um, now everything gets a little um, confuse going around different locations in Louisville. Obviously, this is where uh, Breonna Taylor was killed in her bed. But in some of the protests surrounding Breonna Taylor's death, uh, David McAtee, who was a, a barbecue guy, he ran a barbecue spot uh, nearby in Louisville, um, was killed by police fire. Um, and the police chief of Louisville did fire those officers for that killing. I don't know if they're going to be charged. Um, but Louisville also ended no-knock warrants um, because of what happened to Brianna, and they're calling it Brianna's Law. It, all of these things are utter no-brainers. Another victory this week, Ferguson elected its first black mayor. Obviously, Ferguson, the site of the 2014 um, major Black Lives Matter protests after the killing of Mike Brown. In D.C., uh, you've got bipartisan work beginning to shut down a Pentagon program that sends military weapons to local police departments. About fucking time. Also in D.C., uh, Mayor Bowser got uh, invoked the Third Amendment to kick 1,200 soldiers out of D.C. hotels. Boss move. And, of course, I think a lot of folks saw that she got workers to paint Black Lives Matter on the ground outside of the White House. Um, the Third over... Amendment does not get enough love. Like... We talk what about the, the other amendment. amendment. The, the third amendment is the constitutional right not to have soldiers live in your house. And think about how much more your life would suck if suddenly they were like, sorry, it's on the constitution. We get to make soldiers live in your house. I feel like a lot of army wives should just invoke that to get a divorce. <laughs> um, over in... <laughs> Over in Georgia, uh, Ahmed Arbery, all three people involved in his killing will uh, be tried. Remember, uh, two guys who actually accosted him and one, well, I think there were three, one who filmed it from behind. Um, over in California, um, the San Diego Police Department is going to end chokeholds. Again, no brainer, but thank God. Uh, California's governor has ordered state police departments to stop training officers in chokeholds or carotid restraints. Um, like the ones that were that killed George Floyd. I guess maybe that's a knee. Um, the DOJ is going to investigate a Vallejo Police Department uh, murder uh, of Sean Monterosa, who was shot with his hands up and was on his knees. Um, in Seattle, city council reversed decisions to end federal oversight of police departments. So remember, there was this push under Obama to have some oversight of police departments under Trump that got rescinded. Now in Seattle, they're saying, no, we want oversight. Um, also King County Labor Federation over in Seattle, um, issued an ultimatum to their police union to address racism or be removed. Six officers in Atlanta charged for violence against residents, two fired for police brutality against a couple in their car, if you guys saw that video. Also in Atlanta, a proposal uh, denied for a $23 million expansion to Fulton County Jail. That's obviously part of the entire um, prison industrial complex that police are part of that we've been talking about. Um, back over in, uh, in Portland, schools are in Oregon. Oregon schools are discontinuing the use of police. 
Um, and a, a bunch of school districts are jumping on it. They're talking about that now in Oakland and a lot of school districts that have, you know, used police to deal deal with behavioral issues totally yeah. inappropriately are now looking at maybe that was a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe don't slam a 12 year old to the ground. Maybe just like having that like big guy named Dr. French, like I had in middle school, would just be like, Dr. French knows you said shit in in your Spanish class. And I was like, well, you just said shit just now. Dr. French doesn't like that language. Anyway, anyone else? Okay. DM me. Um, <laughs> moving along. L.A. city government is shifting $100 million out of LAPD's bloated budget for community programs. Um, ha, 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 ha. There's more to cut, though. Lots of fat. Let's keep on cutting. Taco chain workers in suburban Ohio walked off the job rather than fill a big order for police. They were like, that's one too many carnitas. Progressive wins in. Uh, the, the, you, uh, you, there was there was uh, like a, there was some sort of like like carnitas cops or pigs joke there. Mm -hmm. Audience, look, we couldn't be bothered to write the joke, but you you get we're carnitas, cops or pigs. No, no more Cardi. You know, no more trying to say. <laughs> Fill it out. I got it. Punchline it. to come. <laughs> uh, let's see. Progressive wins against centrist Democrats in New Mexico and Pennsylvania in their state Democratic primaries. That's awesome. Uh, also facing budget cuts is the NYPD. About goddamn time. San Francisco looking to ban hiring cops with a history of misconduct. Also no brainer, but that's dope. And finally, it, is, it is dope, although I feel like the thing that the thing that would you know seal the deal on like that would be, I was thinking about this today that would make a huge difference on stopping police violence is if they didn't hire cops with a history of misconduct or sexual harassment or domestic violence, then like that's that's how you abolish police is you if you prevent people with any history of sexual harassment or domestic violence, then there's no more cops. Ta-da, we fixed it. Does the misconduct not include domestic violence? Well, it like the the I mean the thing that people have been saying about this proposal about banning cops with the history of misconduct is that like it's that it's about misconduct in the job. So that if you like if you work in one police department and then you commit misconduct, getting that misconduct sustained in a in a in a ruling on your record you know, would prevent you from being hired somewhere else, but it's so hard to get those things sustained. You know right. what I'm saying? Right, right, right. That, that it's like, is how, you know, anyway. It's like, it's like uh, bishops or like priests who just get moved around. Right. After they've been touching little kids. Um, just, you know, move them around. Not good. And finally, I know you guys are all tired of this positive news. Um, if there were any other indication that we are leaving this century behind or last century behind, um, Confederate statues and monuments are finally coming down in places like Birmingham, Bentonville, Arkansas, Alexandria, Virginia, Fort Myers, Florida, Richmond, Virginia. Um, Br Bristol, Bristol, England, there was this statue of a slave trader uh, and people like dragged it down dragged it through the city and threw it into the river. And then there were some people who were like, you're why are you erasing this part of our heritage? And the last surviving heir of that slave trader went on Twitter was like, no, I'm good with it. Go ahead. Fuck that. Fuck on. my ancestor. So can I, can I say my favorite bit of good news? Yes. please. Uh, 
it's just it's just public opinion that there was a, a a Monmouth poll that was reported by Newsweek that current approval rating for Donald Trump forty two percent, approval rating for Joe Biden forty six percent, and uh, the percentage of Americans that approve of literally burning down the police station in Minneapolis fifty four percent. So. Burning down the police is literally more popular than anyone running for president. That is fucking amazing to me. <laughs> and look, the thing, you know, all of these stories, all of these victories are complicated and they're mixed. And it's like a lot, you know, obviously a lot of these politicians are opportunists and they don't really care about deep seated reform. But it's like, to me, the thing I take from it, you know, it goes back to the, the just stuff about hope that we always sort of want to wait until we're hopeful before we start doing stuff. But None of us could have seen this coming two weeks ago, that yeah. like all of these things would be suddenly moving all over the country. And like we were talking about with Maurice Mitchell last week, like if you would try to make a campaign plan to achieve all these things through like normal political advocacy, it would have been it would have taken a million years. And suddenly the world changes overnight and politicians are like scrambling to be opportunistic, opportunistic in ways that are responsive to things that we care about. And that's great. And we just need to you know, we need to keep it up and also celebrate, celebrate the wins as they come. Absolutely. Agreed. Um, I think it's okay that politicians are opportunistic. That's what having power is. Um, you know, like I heard apparently, uh, Mitt Romney is out at a BLM protest right now. Yeah. And I know what many of you are thinking. He thinks his bureau of, he thinks his bureau of land management. Yeah. He's like, save the white crane. Um, <laughs> no, uh, save the sage grouse. That's in Utah, I think. Um, and no, but you know, I think it's important for folks on the left to be like, just cause it's mainstream doesn't mean it's wrong. And it doesn't mean that your analysis and your approach and your organizing can't be smarter and, um, more intersectional or whatever it is, or, or, you know, more militant, however you want to frame it. Yeah. Just because you're out on the streets with Ariana Grande doesn't mean you like her music. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> what I mean is like, I think a lot of people are like, Mitt Romney, shit is done. It's like, no, some things are good to be mainstream. It's good that all these corporations are issuing all their statements. It means there's actual pressure and we should get used to winning like this. Um, I know there's a huge conversation right now about um, a campaign from a group called Campaign Zero called... Uh, hashtag eight can't wait and there are eight policy reforms a lot of similar reforms to the ones and the victories that i just named and like banning chokeholds requiring de-escalation um requiring warning before shooting exhausting all other means before shooting duty to intervene and stop excessive force ban shooting at moving vehicles require use of force continuum uh comprehensive reporting each time an officer uses force or threatens to do so uh which feels like the most damning one it's like you have to do more paperwork. Like, no! Um, I feel like that's the one that would get the cops. Now, all of those reforms, honestly, to me, and this is what I might be bitching about, sound pretty lightweight given the, the just the sheer like quantity of people who are openly saying defund the police. None of those things say defund the police. Um, and I know that the folks behind this campaign believe also in defunding the police, but they're, you know, lobbying people like Oprah to get behind this eight can't wait. I'm not sure and, 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 and that part this of their, is the part, way to go, but I'm not, I don't, I don't think it's like, you know, BS. 
and 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 part of and part of it is like they you know part the way that they're selling it is like this they can't wait these are eight things that could be done immediately without any new legislation that will reduce police killings by 72 percent and it's like aim higher guys like you're planning you're, you're just let's be a c student that's what 72 percent is yeah <laughs> <laughs> we're okay with 28 percent dead black people dude that's um like, that's, we... not, that's not okay word we have to move on we're running behind let's welcome um to the habituation room um uh, shanti singh uh shanti hi hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. hi hi how's it going what's going on good i just i just lit some incense to like you know make sure that we're removing any cop energies from this live stream oh thank so, you so much yeah yeah yeah. Sh Shanti, in your honor, I'm wearing my DSASF t-shirt. Oh, nice. I'm, I'm wearing my No Olympics t-shirt in honor of my comrades in Los Angeles, actually. So. Hey, hi. Um, I want to introduce you properly for those <laughs> listening and watching. Shanti is the co-chair of the San Francisco DSA Tenants Solidarity Group and communications coordinator at Tenants Together, which is a statewide coalition of 45 tenants unions and anti-displacement groups across California. She just came back from a stint in, Anna, in L.A., as California data director of the Bernie Sanders campaign, might've heard of it, and works on housing justice organizing and building the DSA. Shanti. Hi. What are you drinking? Um, Just, just some, just some James Beam, the classic. James or Jim? Yeah, I, I call them James Beam, I don't know why. Professor J James Beam, I thought J it would sound. James Beam is his father. Mm. Yeah, yeah, call, call me Jim. Was this like when Jim Carrey like was James, but then he got famous and he was like Jim? He was for James, like, James Carrey. Yeah, for like a hot second. That oh wow, crazy. Shanti, uh, f listen, forty-eight point five million people in this country rent their own homes right now, or rent yep. a home that isn't theirs, <laughs> or they don't own. And uh, about forty-five million people are now unemployed. Uh, they're uh, filed for unemployment. Um, right. uh, there have been a moratoriums in a lot of states on evictions. There have been um, rent deferments in a lot of states. Uh, those are not lasting very long. So I think a lot of people, including um, Ilhan Omar, right, um, representative for Minnesota, has said there needs to be longer, some sort of like broader vision for what the hell happens to housing after in the wake of and during coronavirus. What is your forecast? What happens if we can't pay the rent? Oh God. Uh, so sorry to be so negative. Um, no, but uh, yeah, the, what's basically happened, there's this huge, there's a patchwork of protections or no protections or limited protections all over the country. What little protections were in place are now kind of starting to expire. Um, so we're also seeing like in different states, any sort of temporary eviction moratorium or sort of eviction moratorium, I should really put it in quotes, is expiring now. Um, and so what we're really seeing at this point is, you know, we had a bunch of tenants who couldn't pay their rent in April, but you couldn't pay in May. We think about one in five renters at least like could not pay their full rent June 1st. And mm. on top of that, we have these moratoriums expiring, these laws that are patchwork that differ from city to city that weren't even really that strong in the first place. 
So like we have all of those like more like limited protections expiring and we have a bunch of people who just simply can't pay their rent and are facing eviction. Additionally, on top of that, you probably have a bunch of people who are taking out loans to pay their rent, who are foregoing necessary family expenses to pay their rent because, you know, as we like to say in the tenant community, the rent eats first, right? Like you can't, you know, if you don't have a home, like that's the first thing that you pay. And then the rest of the stuff that you need to live your life, whether it's, you know, supplies, school supplies for your kids or food on the table always comes after. So that one in five, I don't even think really uh, captures the magnitude of the crisis that renters are going through in America. And so far, you know, political, what little political action that took place when the pandemic was still new is kind of starting to fall off in a lot of places. So is there, is there dark stuff? That, that, that's super dark. Uh, Sorry. Thanks for bumming me out, dude. Um, Is there like, do you feel like there's also a a window of opportunity? Like, because, you know, two months ago, the idea of banning evictions was like completely out of the question. And even if it's not being implemented consistently, like it's in the public conversation, is there any way that that just having that, those kind of terms out there is raising people's expectations of like, oh, if I could get a one month without being evicted, why not forever? You know, like, why do I have to go back to not being evicted? And this whole system of like, I don't pay my rent and my landlord doesn't pay their mortgage and then the bank sucks a dick and the, you know, everything is illusion and money isn't real. And what is property anyway? Like maybe there's no going back. Is there any, is there hope about that? Or like, is there a, a window of opportunity for the tenants union to, or tenants movement to like t- seize the, seize the initiative? Oh yeah, absolutely. I also think, I think it's inter- like the, the struggle that renters are going through and, and even like small landlords. So like there's a cancel rent campaign, but we're also talking about cancel mortgages because there's that, like you mentioned, there's that cascading, you know, the renter campaign. So that if the land, small landlord has a mortgage, not the wall street landlord, the small landlord has a mortgage, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, full full disclosure. I am the founder of Spork, small property owners of reasonable controls. I have a friend who lives in my house that pays me rent. And uh, so I speak on behalf of 100% of mom and pop landlords. Yeah. 100% of mom and pop landlords support rent control and are socialists like native. Just like uh, me, obviously. <laughs> but but yeah, there is an enormous window of opportunity. Um, I mean, I think even the numbers around rent and mortgage cancellation, which is kind of like the core demand that we're making right now, but it's not like, you know, it's in the middle. There are less radical demands, there are more radical demands, but this is the demand that everybody's massing around because there was a, I think Data for Progress did a whole thing where they said that like seven in California, for example, or we have a quarter of America's renters like here in California, um, that 75% of Californians, no labels on that, whether they're Democrats, Republicans, et cetera, like they all support canceling rents and canceling mortgages for the remainder of the pandemic. And that's a huge number in terms of political, in terms of political will. Yes. Um, and that's a hugely popular demand. And I do think that people are starting to like go beyond that and kind of start to question like, why am I in such an unequal you know, relationship, like, and I, I think, you know, for a tenant to be like, why am I such an unequal power dynamic with my landlord or a landlord to be like, why am I in such an unequal power dynamic with this Wall Street, faceless Wall Street bank? You know, right. it kind of like goes, it kind of goes in so stages like that. If that's the people, what about our, you know, California's assemblymen and, you know, the governor, like what has been the discussion on the policy level about canceling rent actually during this time, not just deferring it? 
Uh, zero. To be honest, the answer is zero. I mean, this demand for canceling rent and like, you know, Tenants Together is like a coalition of 45 organizations, but there's lots of other organizations working on this in other states nationally, but like, and then also like ally organizations, like there's a huge housing justice movement in California that's been building strength over the last five or 10 years. And they're all have been demanding, like we've been demanding for a long time for like months now that, you know, Governor Newsom and the state legislature cancel rents and mortgages. Um, so far, they have been less than responsive. Uh, Governor Newsom definitely has been less than responsive. I assume that he's busy uh, slashing housing and homelessness budgets by like 70% while the police and prison budget remains intact, uh, which was just proposed three weeks ago. Um, but yeah, and our legislators, there's sort of a hint towards a plan and we don't have, Tennis Together doesn't have an official position on that. Like we haven't even seen what it looks like. It hasn't even been written down yet, I don't think. Um, but there's a plan to kind of, you know, have like sort of like a tax credit or like that debt is deferred, but it's not canceled, mm. right? So I, that's the most bold plan coming out of the legislature right now is that like, you know, there's a tax credit and then the tenant will owe the state uh, instead of the landlord and landlord can take that debt though and sell it on a secondary market, which is where wall street gets involved, which is not great, okay. but it's not, it's not a cancellation of rent or mortgages. It's a deferral. And, uh, if most Americans like can't can barely make 400 or $500 in an emergency before the pandemic, the idea that they're going to be able to pay months and months and months of back rent, or that even like small mom and pop landlords will be able to pay months and months of months of like back mortgages is insane that's not going to happen like you're going to see a wave of retaliatory evictions and foreclosures unless you actually see meaningful progress and so that's why we want to organize on the ground level to prepare for that possibility if our legislators don't act why do you think like democrats can talk a good game about there are certain parts of corporate america that they're good at standing up to like they are perfectly happy to be like screw you big tobacco or whatever yeah. Why are why are Democrats such cowardly losers when it comes to the real estate industry? Um, well, the real I mean, the real estate industry has even more money than big tobacco. That's even possible, but it is. Uh, they have I think they're the number one national lobbyist in America, like more than the Chamber of Commerce or number two. Uh, so there's that. A lot of them are like real estate owners themselves who own a lot of some of them own a lot of properties, actually. I think uh, Cal Matters did this, Tenants Together looked into it too, but like in the California state legislature, which is like a democratic supermajority state legislature, I think there were like only a couple of renters. Like everybody else owns property and then about a third of them are landlords themselves. So again, not Mom trying Pop, to- Are they part of Spork? They're not part of Spork, unfortunately. Um, and so but it's it's not even just that, like they have that, you know, they have tenants themselves that doesn't necessarily make them bad people. What happens though, is that they all get a ton of money for their campaigns from the California Association of Realtors and the California Apartment Association, both of whom are very hard at work in the middle of this pandemic, trying to stop any kind of progress at the state level, just as they normally do when there isn't a pandemic. Mm. Um, and those are huge, huge, huge mega donors to campaigns. And can you talk some about like sort of the strategic debates within the tenants movement about prioritizing fighting for new protections at the legislative level versus people organizing other renters in their own building to make demands on their own landlord? 
Yeah, I think from an, uh, I think, I mean, it's a little bit of both, but ultimately like we need to organize people on the local level and that's it. I mean, that we're never going to not do that. That's always going to be the basis of what we do because we can't, you know, we can't count on our legislators, whether it's the state legislator or the, the Trump government or anybody like we can't count on them to take action necessarily. We need them to, we're going to push them to as hard as we possibly can. But at the end of the day, like we need to prepare and organize for the worst case scenario, but also just prepare and organize because having that position of strength from the local level up to the national level is going to make it more likely that legislators listen to us in the first place. So we're not going to stop. We're just we're just basically just putting our foot on the pedal as far as like local organizing is concerned right now. Are you prepping for like another rent strike a day or an action or you coordinated with cities uh, like New York? Yeah, I mean, we're we're part of the national right to the city movement. And there's also the national homes guarantee movement. So those are two like, you know, organizations or umbrellas of organizing to follow. But Mm -hmm. we're definitely like as far as tenants together is concerned and as far as like even like DSA chapters are concerned. And like we're doing, uh, you know, kind of city or municipal level organizing um, to try to pressure city councils, et cetera, to like pass more progressive ordinances while we're trying to pressure the state level. But we're trying to here, we're trying to focus on the city level because a lot of the stuff that happens at the state, especially like Gavin Newsom's eviction moratorium, which wasn't really an eviction moratorium, it's always deferring to municipalities. That's like mm. how California works, right? The whole idea of local control and all of that stuff. So that's that's really where we have a focus, and also like you know continuing our goal. Like that's more important than ever. That like every city, everybody should be in a tenant union, just like everybody should be in a labor union. So, what is that? Or where's yeah, where's this? Where's the sexiest version of that organizing happening? The sexiest version of that organizing? I I can't play favorites among our member orgs. That would be really hard. But. Uh, uh, I will say I will shout out the LA Tenants Union because they are doing some great stuff uh, with fighting against lockouts, um, which we're actually about to do a bunch of trainings on. And this is kind of relevant to, I think, this is relevant to like what we're talking about when we talk about the police state, because who enforces evictions? Like who throws people's shit out onto the street? Um, who is actually being called right now, even when those evictions are technically legal under Newsom's moratorium or any of these statewide moratoriums? Like, who actually throws your stuff out? It's the cops. It's the sheriffs, right? Like that's that. So insane to me. That's that is like police violence is how the eviction and displacement and gentrification et cetera machine is enacted. Yeah. So it is. It's a related subject, and so what LATU is doing and what other organizations are doing. Uh, especially right now is trying to stop lockouts where, you know, or it's also called a self-help eviction, which is a weird term for it. But, you know, like where you're seeing, you know, even now during this pandemic, like some landlords will still call cops. They will still try to call the sheriffs. They will still try to force people out. And so, and when it's an incredibly scary situation, especially if you are like black, Latinx, indigenous, person of color, in a community that's been ravaged by gentrification and displacement, you are already in a position where like your life is in danger if the cops show up, right? And so when your landlord calls a cop to evict you, like what are you gonna do? And the only way you can do that is like to, to fight back against that really is to like hopefully have your community around you to support you and have your local tenants movement around you to support you. So I really appreciate the LA Tenants Union 
uh, um, is really working on how to do like real defense. And that's something that DSASF is working on. That's something like Tenants Together is going to be is about to do a big series on lockout like workshops every Tuesday on Zoom. So you can literally just hop on and like learn how to fight back, learn how to organize against that thing. And I do think it's really relevant because police violence is is how the eviction machine exists during this pandemic before or after. So. I mean, this is the thing about defunding the police. It's just like, cool. So the poor just get harassed less. Like how much of the budgets are going to just harassing the poor? Like straight up, like nine times out of 10, you see a cop on the street. What's he doing? Harassing a homeless person, harassing a black person, like you know, less that, you know, um, which I think people should stay and watch if that's happening. If, if it's happening anywhere, you should stay and watch, but it's just like, this is, it is unnecessary to be policing poverty. Yeah. Yeah, like absolutely. And, 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 and that's what happens, right? I mean, like, I, like eviction, the, like I, the, a lot of people smarter than me have written about it, but you know, the eviction machine too is inflicted on poor people, poor people, and especially black, indigenous, Latinx people of color. So, you know, if you're, if you've been evicted once, it's probably also likely like that's on your record, you're discriminated against, it's hard for you to find new housing, you're probably more likely to get evicted again, your section eight isn't accepted, all of that stuff. So it's very much a machine that is meant to create an underlying, an underclass of people and to continually oppress an underclass of people. And those people more often than not tend to be renters. So I know for us, like, we have to be, especially in this historical moment as like tenant organizers, we have to be very like intersectional in our thinking about police violence, especially when we see it, you know, all the time. I mean, there are some cities in California where the police, um, where you can't, if you have bed bugs or mold in your apartment, you were supposed to call it, you think you call your department a building inspection, but these municipalities will have the cops run it. So if you are like a black or Latinx tenant and you have bed bugs and you want to report it for inspection, like you have to invite the police into your house. And, and they're going to, they're going to taser. Like it's, 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 they taser the bed bugs yeah. off. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. It's like that family guy old bit where they shoot at the fleas. Like there's a flea infestation. The cops come in and like shoot up the whole house trying to catch a flea. That would basically be it. Far yeah. more real. <laughs> Shanti, there are a bunch of our viewers online, uh, Jeff and Steve and Thomas, who are asking different versions of questions about, like, the role of Wall Street in the financial sector in the in housing. Mm -hmm. um, it hasn't always been like that. Can you talk about sort of the march of of high finance into into the into the rental business and the role yeah, that they yeah. play now? Yeah, I think. That's a good question. I think NATO knows. I used to like in a past life used to work in finance. So I got to see this firsthand. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, essentially, like with 2008, what you saw, of course, was you saw all of these predatory subprime mortgages that banks took and they took this debt and they like they sold mortgages that were very risky. They especially it was very predatory on black homeowners and black folks in particular. Um, and then they tried to, you know, turn it into this like huge, uh, like stack of like house of cards of, uh, of making more money, making more money until, you know, the underlying mortgages collapsed, it all collapsed. So what happened after 2008, which is why Tenants Together formed was because there's this huge wave of foreclosures that mostly hit low income folks and especially the black community. And then what you saw was that Wall Street would go in and buy these homeowners out 
and turn those homes into predatory rentals where now like you know they'll raise the rent by a thousand dollars we've heard things about black like black widow spider infestations all sorts of insane shit and they did that by buying up all these foreclosed homes and so that's especially what we're trying to also fight against now and there is like a campaign where we are all like on a national level where we're trying to work to like highlight the role of wall street because what we are afraid they're going to or know that they're going to engage in is disaster capitalism mm-hmm. the same kind that they did in 2008 Hang on. T- on t- quick, quick quick callback quick callback there was an episode of the good wife about this oh my god was there really yeah, uh, no. where there was there, there was an episode where there was a lawsuit about a kid that got like a disease from a mosquito uh, that it was carrying a disease because of standing water that was related to Wall Street and real estate foreclosures. Like yeah. somebody, like they had foreclosed on a house that had a pool, abandoned, neglected the house, there was standing water, mosquitoes. One of the neighbor kids gets this horrible disease. And so then there's this whole thing about finance being liable and making this kid Oh, bring it all back. Yeah, I'm sorry. Just, you got it. Okay, <laughs> I haven't seen that show, but I do think I always thought Christine Baranski was really dope. She's like a great Broadway actress, so I'm sure it's a really good show. But but yeah, mm-hmm. we're worried that this is. We're basically worried that the 2008. We're gonna have 2008 Redux, but on an even bigger scale. Yeah. Because they're gonna buy up. You know, mm-hmm. if if smaller landlords go out of business, if like homeowners uh, get foreclosed upon when renters are basically uh, evicted en masse, though all three of those things are enormous opportunities for someone like a Blackstone or like, you, you know, all of these different uh, mega, mega, mega private equity and, and, and Wall Street and hedge funds, et cetera, to basically make even more of a killing on the housing market and create even more exploitative conditions and take up, snatch up a bigger percentage of the housing stock. And I think that's something that people misunderstand, like gaming the system, predatory uh, uh, purchasing, that because we're always told that, well, the market, the market, the market dictates, it's just the market price. It's the market price. What are you going to do with the market? You know, it's like Mm -hmm. a lot of housing, you got to build more housing. It's like, no, this is actually being designed by finance. Um, it, it's not the market. It's literally a guy named Mark. <laughs> Thank you, NATO. Um, and I think, I think a lot of people are forgetting that you're saying 2008. We're already seeing, you know, 45 million people apply for unemployment. Like, I'm like, are we not in 2008 yet? And I think the answer is no. The answer is exactly what you're saying is that a wave of, evictions and a wave of um if unless we can fight back um a wave of uh i think a lot of struggle and poverty i think is going to hit this country if we can't one if we can't get you know the virus under control but also primarily if we don't have an economic plan to actually help people with these issues that again were pre-existing before the virus even happened um Yeah, that's why. So, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say that I think it's great that, and I'm sure that right now there are new people who are being politicized and, you know, I'm working around tenants issues who previously were not. And it's, it's a good moment to bring them into the fold. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's honestly what all of our tenant, all of our member organizations across California, all the tenants unions across America who are all like talking to each other, allied with each other. Like we are basically trying to bring in as many people who are scared and alone right now as possible and bring them into the movement 
bring them in to organize collectively, bring them in to build support networks in their buildings and their neighborhoods, because this could be bigger than 2008. That's entirely possible, especially when you, as you said, so many people have filed for unemployment. Um, and you're going to see that, like, you know, you're going to see that across renters. You're going to see that across, like, you know, maybe like homeowners who are, have really high mortgage payments or small landlords who like have a property or two and depend on that rent to pay off their mortgages. Like mm -hmm. if we don't have this relief, the consequences, the consequences of political action, inaction on behalf of our, you know, on the part of our elected officials, it's going to bite us in the ass for years to come. People are going to be in the bet. If, if your best case policy scenario as a legislator is that people are going to be in debt for decades of their lives, that's not going to contribute to the economy, right? Like those people will be saddled with enormous amounts of debt. If Wall Street is coming and owning a huge chunk of your neighborhood, and then, you know, lobbying like your legislators or like electing or starting to elect people or interfere in politics as they do in housing politics, then like that's going to bite us in the ass for many, many years to come. Like the, the misery that uh, that not answering this historical moment is going to create is going to last with us a lot longer than coronavirus is. Absolutely. And, and I don't know if like I don't really know if the people in charge are thinking about that. Uh, I would guess that the answer is no. Can you can you uh, since you, since you're talking about the people in charge, can you talk about why in in the darkest hour for renters, the hero we need is Ilhan Omar? <laughs> yes, uh, Ilhan Omar introduced the Rent and Mortgage Cancellation Act, which is uh, pretty much what it says. It's rent and mortgage cancellation, but it's also for and and it's not just yeah, it's, it's mortgages for small landlords and it's rent for renters uh, for the duration of the national state of emergency and then a month or so after. So that is that period is totally forgiven. It also allows for uh, some property owners, like smaller property owners to you know get, get more financial support. It also creates massive reinvestment in subsidized housing, public housing, all like section eight and other programs that are needed to stabilize people. Because one thing people, again, I think a lot of people in charge forget is that, you know, what a lot of tenants, right? Tenant defense is about prevention. And if you let someone get evicted, not only is it just morally egregious and wrong for someone to be thrown out onto the street because they're poor, but even if you're just like this most calculating centrist wonk person, you are gonna spend three times that much money on your homelessness budget, like keeping people in their homes makes fiscal sense. And as a socialist, as a Marxist, I hate making this fiscal sense argument, but even on that level, it, it works. And that's yeah. why, and that's why you need yeah. to invest and for every dollar you invest in yeah. section eight and subsidized housing and public housing and protecting all of that, you are actually going to save money on homelessness and just like make it and also giving people the stability to like participate in the economy when we get out of this pandemic like word uh, so, wanna... some, sometimes sometimes i feel like 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 when you see these moments like this where there's something that makes fiscal sense that they're not doing it's like it feels like they're really trying to discipline the poor like that takes precedence over what makes the most fiscal sense well, yeah, and that's why Ilhan Omar's bill has like it's gotten a lot of progressive support. It's definitely gotten socialist support. It's gotten huge support and like for the entire national housing justice community, like every organization. We're all super excited about it and super behind it. But it hasn't actually gotten support from the leaders in the Democratic caucus, right? How, how that, that wasn't in the that? Heroes Act. Hmm? 
How can we change that? I mean, I, I, I'm not saying this on behalf of Tenants Together, which is a 501c3, which endorses no candidates for office. But on behalf of myself, Shanti's saying, I mean, elect better people to office or just scare the people who are there. But what Don't about this? It. What about the bill? Can we actually like, are we calling our reps? Yes, yes. That's what that's what we have been doing. Um, we have been calling our reps to, uh, if not like, you know, I mean, just pass her bill wholesale, but support her bill, co-sponsor her bill. Um, and also to incorporate uh, rent and mortgage cancellation into any future legislation um, that they might be proposing because it was not, you know, the HEROES Act, which was supposedly like the big moral stand. There was nothing about rent and mortgage cancellation in the HEROES Act at all. There was something that might have benefited some very large, larger commercial landlords, not even small commercial landlords who could appeal to the Fed, but otherwise it was completely absent from this apparently like moral stand bill. So we really need to continue to make sure that what is the substance of Ilhan Omar's bill, whether it makes it in her bill or whether it gets incorporated in some big, you know, legislation that they're planning, that 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 rent mortgage cancellation actually gets in there. Because right now the people in charge are really, really not listening, uh, even though they're feeling the pressure and the heat from their left flank. So call and talk to your Congress person, whoever they are. Yes. And try to find out local, uh, join your local tenants union, right? Yes. Yes. And tenantstogether.org, if you're in California, has a list of tenants unions. If you're national, go to talk, go to Right to the City, uh, look up Right to the City Alliance or look up the Homes Guarantee folks um, and you will find a ton of organizations um, that are in your area across the United States. So awesome. Awesome. You are not alone at home. You're with a lot nope. of other people who cannot make rent right exactly. now. Um, yep. Shanti, I want to keep you on. First, I want to show, yes, please follow Shanti on Twitter. She's an awesome follow. Do it. Um, <laughs> I want to keep you on for our very lightning round last segment, just to bring us all back up, do something a little different. Um, this is a new segment because we're introducing new segments every fucking week because why not? Um, uh, that's what this moment calls for. This segment is called My Favorite Arrest. <laughs> this is where we go through the the uh, the time that we were arrested that we liked the most or the most memorable moment of one of our arrests. Um, three of us have all been arrested. Uh, that is just the en bar to entry on the habituation room. Must be have been arrested mm -hmm. um, for protesting. <laughs> for protesting, for protesting or, or like yeah, 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 whatever, um, or trafficking. Not trafficking. Um, but Shanti, I understand. Were you arrested this week uh, protesting? I was arrested Tuesday night by SFPD. I think there were like 27 of us in front of the Hall of Justice, and they brought in like 150 riot cops. 150. <laughs> Doesn't always make you feel kind of small. You're like, oh, man. Like, it's also like they're stupid for bringing too many people, but you're like, we, shit. <laughs> I wasn't, I, I was actually, I was like, wow, this is really dumb. Like, there's way too many of you. Like, what are we like gonna hurt your feelings with our chance? Like, uh, yeah, uh, it wasn't as bad. It wasn't as bad as the day before. There was a picture in San Francisco City Hall of like sixty or seventy people around just one dude, like who had a sign, right? Uh, uh, but Shanti, I realized. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, what was the favorite part of your favorite part, or something quirky about this arrest? You know, like a quirky tidbit about your arrest, your illegal arrest uh, for. De you know, displaying your First Amendment right and exercising it. 
Um, I guess the I guess the the quirky part was the the lady who was patting me down while I was zip tied was like, he's like, do you have wire in your bra? And I was like, no, no, actually, I don't need it. She was like, what brand is that? You know, um, that was funny. <laughs> Uh, but the, 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 I guess this part's quirky too, or this part's not quirky, but they took us to like a weird undisclosed location. Like we thought we were just, we were in front of the county jail. We thought they were just going to take us in there, but they took us to this weird pier where I thought I was like a Sopranos extra who's about to get like murked mm. up by like Polly Walnuts or something. Like I thought I was going to die. What was uh, a pier? It was just, it's always a pier, right? Like why would you take us to this random pier? Uh, so that part wasn't as fun. And apparently they took people there later. Um, and then the other part, and I don't know if this is quirky or just gross, but this one of the cops was trying to hit on my friend and while he's releasing her from custody and uh, um, while like after she was processed and he was bragging to her to kind of like hit on her a little bit that they were making $192 an hour. <laughs> I don't know if that's like a quirky cop. And is that like quirky for cop standards? I don't know. Like it's just like thank you for proving your point. Defund the police. One hundred and ninety-two dollars. You're not gonna yeah. get anywhere with that talk. Speak of reading the room, like yeah, I'm gonna tell this yeah. young socialist woman that I make a lot of overtime for arresting protesters. Yeah, yeah. Also, it's just like, is this really the place? Like you could like uh, tinder hasn't been shut down because of the pandemic like is this really like at like 1 a.m like that's where you're gonna try to like try your best pickup lines is on this girl you just took out of zip ties like i freed you yeah. now go on a date with me but you yeah yeah but date me uh nato what's your favorite arrest story make it quick uh not possible um no, I uh, I'm thinking about the the time. I, so I got arrested during Occupy Wall Street. We blockaded the Wells Fargo corporate headquarters um, in San Francisco to protest their investment in uh, for-profit immigration detention centers and deforesting the the rainforest in uh, in South America. And so we blockaded the entrances and shut down the building and. Um, and at one point, and it gets super boring, like doing civil disobedience, because you're just sitting on the sidewalk for a long time. Um, <laughs> and so my butt was cold or whatever. And so they, at some point, the cops came around and they were like, well, why don't you, we just want you to understand, like, we understand what you guys are trying to do, but we have to arrest you because if there's like a fire or an earthquake, people won't be able to get out of the building because you're blocking the en entrances and exits. And we were like, well... But if there's a fire or an earthquake, we're going to get the fuck out of here. Like, we like I couldn't live with myself if I knew that there was a headline that I was responsible for that was like, Occupy Wall Street literally crushed under a collapsing banking system <laughs> due to an earthquake. <laughs> so don't worry about that, copper. Amazing. Um, I This is just a portion of my second arrest, which is in 2004 of the RNC. Yeah, yes. I am that old um, in New York City, Mayor Bloomberg, who, wow, he was a candidate recently. Oh, um, my God. Mass arrests, like 4000 people arrested, maybe more that day. Um, and I was, you know, you get divided by gender, uh, very binary. And I was with a bunch of pacifists and then a bunch of like dope women of color from the Bay. I was living in New York at the time and I was I had to poo the whole time for like, I'm like, it was so bad for like 
I was held for 36 hours and I had to poo. And also the women, the white women were singing like, you know, where have all the flowers gone? <laughs> you know, they were like just singing and like then the like women of color were, were we were all like chanting and we were like <clears throat> banging on the on like the cell and trying to get out and the wh white women were like you're being really militant and like kind of violent like they'd really hate it so we had these like warring factions within this cell and i had to shit and the only place to poo there's like a one there's one toilet but it's got no door and so i made a friend and she stood in front of me while i tried to squeeze it out could totally not do it <laughs> like no amount of relaxation there's no way i could get relaxed enough to poo um anywho i lived to tell the tale and that is my favorite arrest um Thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, Shanti Singh, once again, follow her on Twitter and all the things. Follow her work. Thank you for being here and explaining this to us. Please come back. I will, anytime. I, I'm not going anywhere. Okay. Especially good. not now. I'm totally out of shape. My butt hurts from protesting. Uh, that's embarrassing. It's, but on I, the it's, it's on Tuesday and your butt is still sore. Or it's, it's to now is Sunday and your butt is still sore from Tuesday. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's how out of shape I am so bad it's so bad it's so embarrassing and i just told everybody it's fine that's okay dude we're Whatever. all there we're all it's there fine. don't don't add layers of shame we're in a hard moment as it is mm -hmm. shanti we love you nato love yeah. you y'all i hope you've been tipping us remember to tip us venmo at, uh, venmo account is at tbr live we're giving that money to the national lawyers guild keeping some of it not gonna lie uh show is free but donating a portion of that, please, please, please tip us. It means so much. And give us a review on uh, all the things, five stars, all the loving adjectives you, you can, can watch us, watch us here on Sunday nights or come back for the podcast during the week. Indeed, you can. Um, and, uh, you know, remember, don't just bitch about it. Be about it. Bye-bye.